Hey, welcome to the Night Church Podcast, where we meet every Friday evening for worship at the Loma Linda University Church for young adults by young adults. We hope this encourages you and someone else you know. Enjoy. So glad that you're here tonight. My name is Philip, the young adult pastor here at our church, and I am really thrilled to be starting the series, He Gets Us. There's something that sociologists have really been kind of fascinated with and that I think church leaders are also extremely fascinated with right now, and that is you. You are a fascination to most church leaders and pastors wondering, A, how do we reach young adults? B, where are the young adults? C, could I, you know, have a relationship with a young adult? Do I know any? It's this unique stage in life that people just want to understand. Business leaders want to understand you. They want to know how you spend your money. They want to know how to improve their relationships with you in the workplace. How do I motivate these punks that don't seem to want to be here? Or how do I help them dream bigger than just my corporation? How do I help them reach their aspirations? Or There's all kinds of questions about you. But there's a really interesting thing that sociologists have also found out, and that is that there are three core questions or needs that young adults have. The first one is this question that asks, who am I? Targeting the idea of identity. And then a second question asking, well, what difference can I make in the world? The uh, question that targets purpose. But tonight I want to focus on this last question that I think is really paramount for us to understand as a community. And that is the question, where do I fit in? A question relating to belonging. A lot of times when we talk about belonging, some of us walk into this room feeling like we belong completely. There's this song that my kids sing on the radio, rather more so I really sing out super loud. but I, And it's this kid's song that I learned a long time ago. And it's like, we belong to Jesus, we belong. And it just repeats the same thing over and over. And I just keep singing it in the car. And sometimes I'm by myself in the car and I'm singing. And I'm like, there's no one in here. I guess I do belong to you, Lord. I'm just singing this song and belting it out with my heart. But sometimes it's interesting, we walk into spaces like this and we don't actually feel a sense of belonging. There's an interesting study that emerged. Loneliness is at epidemic levels, based on two articles I read by the New York Times. The U.S. Cigna report on loneliness, which is tracked periodically, for the first time in the history of tracking loneliness, Gen Z and millennials are the loneliest generation that we have right now. In the, la- Amen. <laughs> in the last five years, there has been a phenomenon of shift that has occurred. From the older generations, particularly the boomers, where loneliness was at paramount levels for them, now it's moved to younger generations. The question people are asking is, why? What's going on? Pairing this with then, what do we do with the loneliness? What do we do with the feeling that we have when I don't sense I belong somewhere. I don't have a crew. I don't have my guys. 
No girls. What's going on? Some of you are like, I'm single. That adds to it too. Sure. And then you feel romantically disinclined to just connect even with people. The distance keeps furthering itself and furthering itself. And so what do we do to relieve the stress and worry and loneliness of our soul? Habits that maybe aren't the best. We continue to isolate in spaces alone. We continue to walk into places amongst a lot of people and we don't feel deep-seated connection. And the crazy thing is you could be an extrovert and not actually feel connected. You can feel like an introvert who connects deeply with one-on-one with people and just not feel like you're getting that anymore. It's actually hard to make friends as an adult. Has anyone ever felt that? Either someone is backstabbing you, you're like, screw people, I don't want to have anything to do with them. Or you're just like, I feel like I'm a great person. Does someone see like something written on my forehead that they run away from me? What is going on? And the problem is it continues to even develop further. You think when you get married that people aren't married and alone? Friend, please do not be so naive to imagine that a person will solve your deepest hunger for connection. So what do we do? This series will focus on a concept that I believe if you understand it and deeply internalize it, can transform everything. Some weeks ago, we ended a series with Pastor Randy called Soundtracks. And in that series, Pastor Randy asked a really simple but yet deep question, and it was, what is a pain or a hurt that you are afraid to even tell God? And there the responses start to go from one to another to another to another. What is a, a dark space that you wouldn't want to admit to anyone? And another response comes, another, another. And the responses just kept going. And we had so many responses. The pastors sat with them for a while and wondered, my Lord, the pain, the shame, the hurt, the loneliness. And the immense amounts of responses that dealt with fear if we'll make it into heaven. Because of certain things we've done, said, or been part of, or just feeling isolated from God himself in the world. And so let me tell you about a theological word that I think can heal something, but it has to go from the reverse. If you want to first heal with each other, I believe you have to heal from above. Getting the order reversed will not bring about the complete healing and transformation you need. And so let me start it in a way that doesn't make sense. Let's start with a theological word called incarnation. Incarnation, this was a word that Pastor Randy was asked by a student who was just so interested about his opinion about incarnation. And the student, you could see, had this pensive face. I remember Randy telling me about this, and he's like, I just had to go up to him and I just, do you have a question you want to ask? Yes, Pastor Randy. I, I've just really been wondering, what do you think about incarnation? Well, it's a very interesting question that you would have. I didn't think you would want to know, but okay. I believe in it. You believe in it? I believe in it. I believe God is significant in the process of that. Wait a second, Pastor Randy, What? You believe in incarnation? 
And all of a sudden, Randy was just perturbed. Like, why are you so amazed that I believe in the most fundamental of Christian ideologies? And then Randy realized that they were thinking about reincarnation. <laughs> not reincarnation, but incarnation. Not that you would perpetuate a life over and over and over, but rather this theological word that so few of us use is simply the idea that God who is incredible, mysterious, and divine, who created the universe, who has a galaxy that fits into the fingerprint of his finger. The God who created all things, the God who is immense, large, and generous, and gracious, all loving and compassionate. This God who is above all impurity and sin would choose to become a human. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 9, there we hear the words spoken in Scripture. I want to just read this to you just briefly. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, sorry. For to us a child is born. Some of you are about to sing an aria. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. It is God who came down in human flesh. The author of Hebrews says it this way. Would you turn there with me in Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 through 2. Long, long ago, as if we're listening to Star Wars beginning. At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. The idea that God would become a human being doesn't make sense. I was sharing this devotional thought about the incarnation with a group of staff on our campus, and I knew that several were Muslims in the audience there that I was speaking to. To them, the idea that God would become a human being and that he would be subject to the infirmity of a, of a life of a human seems blasphemous. To the secular mind of the atheist, it seems idiotic. To the person who has grown up around Christianity, over and over in their life, they could actually probably care less. But what does it mean for you and I when we understand that God, who is above all things, who is the creator of you and me, who also would then say, I will be subject to the human experience, not only to save you, but also as the book of Hebrews writes, that we have not such a high priest who does not understand what we have gone through. A God who deeply empathizes. 
a God who steps in human flesh so that he might know the journey that you're on, the God who recognizes what it feels like to be in a crowd and yet be completely alone, a God who knows what it's like to even be tempted by a beautiful woman, a God who understands what it's like to be tempted by pride and ego and the famines of this life to, to feel what it would be like to just use his power just to make a piece of bread. A God who deeply understands the human experience. If we limit God simply to being the one who stood on the cross, or rather hung by nails forced upon a cross, as being the only thing that you imagine the reason why Jesus came, you miss out on what Paul says when he wrote these words. For while we were yet still sinners, God died for us. I don't know how many of you understand the significance of that. I wouldn't die for even the greatest of people most of the time if you asked me. And I'm a pastor. I mean, sometimes my children are like, kid, I don't know. <laughs> Today we were eating dinner, man, they had spaghetti all over their face. I loved it. They're cute, man. <laughs> but you talk about a sinner, someone who's beneath me in my judgment. That homeless guy I walked by, that homeless lady that has no business dealings with me, that smells. You kidding me? I'm going to die for you? God would. God would. Because he knows what it's like to be homeless. He knows what it's like to be with nothing. He understands the emotions, the loneliness, the embarrassment, the shame, and the pain of the human life. He gets us. And so when you think about your human journey and you hear the responses of young adult after young adult that say, God, would you ever even forgive me? Is there even a spot for me up there? God, would you even consider that I might be part of your kingdom? God, please. Friend, do you understand that he gets you? Do you understand that he knows the pain? Do you understand the significance when the text says, in these last days he speaks to us through his son who became flesh and blood. He's breaking down the barrier of connection. I don't know how many times you walk into a space and you feel like the least of these in that room. You don't feel that good looking. You don't have that much money. You're listening to people on the news. You're like, gosh, they're interviewing all the celebrities. I have barely anything in my bank account. I feel like negative. I haven't even graduated. I don't have all these achievements and accolades. God, I feel like a nobody here. You don't feel like those people get you. Sometimes that might even be your friends. Dude, they got everything. And you start judging them for everything they got. And you want to bring them down into life. Don't do that. But you see, the thing is, God said, I will not allow distance to be between us anymore. What happened in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 2, when Adam and Eve were banished out of the garden, you don't understand how that broke God's heart. The origin story was connection that was at a level of touch. When you see Michelangelo, it's Michelangelo did the finger, there in the Sistine Chapel, 
He's like, yeah, yeah, but no, is it really? I don't, I'm confused. Yes, I think it is. It is. There is him standing there looking up there in the Vatican. I saw it twice now in my life. That was the yearning of God always, that we would be that close, that we would have such a connection with him that there would be healing for our souls, that you would trust him. So that when you make a mistake, it's not, ah, oh, kid, get out of here. I don't want to be with you. Are you Oh, my goodness, I'm so above you. I would not even imagine being around you. Sometimes when we pastors talk about sin and the distance it causes us between me and God, it feels as though we're piling upon people the spirit of judgment that God is this guy, when in reality, God is this guy. Man, I'm so sorry, son. I'm so sorry, daughter. Come, come here. Come here. I'm sorry. I understand. I know. I'm so glad that you've been listening to the first part of the sermon. This sort of production does require some financial cost. If you'd like to reach more young adults with this across the world, would you consider giving at praxisministry.org? You can select the Praxis Young Adult Envelope. Enjoy the rest of the sermon. The other day, my daughter, she, she fell hard. Oh, she broke my heart tears flowing down her face and she hit her brother <laughs> you know when you're in your own pain you kind of don't like to be around you just get away <laughs> and she kind of kicked me and he threw something else and the pity that I first had started going to like what the heck then she started crying again. And then I started kind of feeling bad again. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And then she wanted to do something else. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> you kind of go back and forth. But the reality is with God, no, 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 no. That's not how it goes. That's not how it goes. He is beyond our human experience, and yet he is so like it. He understands it, but he brings out the incredible, unconditional love that he has for us. Because he deeply empathizes with the pain of our existence and that he would love us when we're at our worst, brother. When we're at our worst, sister. That is the level upon which God comes to us with a beckoning call of a son and daughter that's hurting. There's no pushing away. There's no feeling of get away. It's embrace. And what if now we took this understanding that God deeply empathizes with us and that he died for us while we were still sinners. What if we now took that and we took it into the human experience with others? What would that look like when you and I, when the Bible says to love one another as I have loved you? What does that mean then? That if God would choose to step off his throne, might it be beneath you to step off your prideful throne every once in a while? Might it be beneath you to step off your judgment stool? 
Might it be beneath you to step off your, I'm at the top of my class stool? Might it be beneath you to step off, I got an MD or DM or an RN and an NNNNN behind my name? Maybe with us common folk? I'm about to get that doctorate soon, so But might it be just that now as we understand that it is in the heart of God to empathize deeply, that as believers, disciples of Jesus, that being like Jesus is also our call to practice the incarnation with humanity. That it is the call of the believer, the disciple, to step into the world of so that we might become like And as Paul says, that we might win others to the kingdom. Is that too much for us to do? Well, the truth is, it is. The truth is, it really is. Because I like having distance between me and other people at times. I get afraid when sometimes I see someone who... I don't know who you are. I don't, I don't know anything about you. You're going to mess with my family. Are you like me? You're not like us. I can see something's different. You don't smell like us. You don't seem to be talking like us. We're at the park today. Some guy comes over, literally. You know who I am? Hey, I know who you are just because I'm a pastor and extrovert. I kind of play with him. Yeah, I know who you are. I had no idea. <laughs> and he's like, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. You know who I am? Brother, I know Jesus. You must be a friend of his. But I was afraid for my family. Here he was, there they were, and I stepped in the middle of them. The distance that we feel between one another is so common, but it shouldn't be common in the church. When we talk about church folk or those who walk through the doors of a church, the barriers of distance have to cease and embrace must be the norm. If the kingdom of the incarnation of God becoming human is to be our call, that means we need to step down and move into the embrace. People get uncomfortable when I when I do my European hug and kiss, I do that to my guys only. I don't do that to any other girls. But I'll give them a big hug, give the guy a kiss in the cheeks. like, bro, hey, man, I'm European, man. Come on. I'd kiss you three times if you were blood. All right, once is enough. But the idea is when people come into the church, there must be a spirit of embrace. There can be no judgment here. There can be no barrier between us. I don't care what you did. You're welcome here. I don't care who you think you are. God loves you. And I do too. The practice of empathy, though, is a muscle. It is a practice. But there's a difference between feeling sorry for somebody and actually deeply feeling with them. Sociologists call the practice of empathy literally sitting at the curb of life with someone and feeling their pain and hurt. Some of you grew up maybe a little bit more well-to-do. You don't know what it looks like to sit on the curb. Some of you have never been arrested, so you also haven't sat on the curb. I grew up as a poor kid. We'd sit on the stoop on the curbs, and we'd just kind of 
just talk, just level with people. There was no bigger than, nothing. It's just, you just talk, life. We're all equal. We're all poor kids, punks. We felt good together because we deeply understood each other. As we grow older, we start to build barriers. And tonight, I want you to just see something here as we're closing. This is from someone I really admire, Brene Brown. Some of her work has just been so profound in my life. Now, as we're talking about human connection, I think she really speaks about this idea of empathy in a really profound way. I want you to see a video that we have, right, guys, back there? Okay. I want you to see this right now. So what is empathy, and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions, where empathy is relevant, and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective-taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Tonight, my heart's appeal to you is this. If God gets us, and that's going to take a while for us to really even process that, to really understand that. I told you, but some of you still are dealing with years of people telling you who God is, and the reality is he might not be that. And so I want you to understand that God is so much more compassionate and merciful and gracious than you ever believed because he stepped into human flesh so that he might understand. But also the call then, secondly, is that we too would practice that with others.
that we would deeply empathize, be more generous, compassionate, and gracious with each other. And that we also would have open arms of embrace. But it takes each one of us having a desire to connect. Some of us are at a distance. We come to church just not really wanting to connect. I need to get recharged. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I just need to get in and get out. But church is also a hospital that we all need to be at. Some of us, though, are here for various degrees of the hospital's need. Sometimes we need to be a little bit more understanding when someone comes in, comes out, that we also don't judge them. Their need is different than yours. My hope is that you would embrace every single one of us. The connection is so important that we'd be gracious and generous with each other in. I remember during blind camp when I was a camp counselor, this one week of the year when all the blind campers would come, and for some reason the Spanish campers would come too. I don't know what they were trying to say with that, but. And I got to be with the blind campers. One of my buddies was the Hispanic campers, and they're having an amazing time. They're talking Spanish together. They shared something in common, a language. They connected. They trusted each other. I had the cabin of all the blind campers together. It was beautiful. They were all at various degrees of blindness, and they would laugh together. They couldn't even see one another fully, some of them, but they just felt a connection. There was a commonality between them. Here, these had a language to connect together with. Here, these had a disability to connect with. Might I make the assumption that we might all live with, that we are all broken and in need of a Savior. And let that be the connection that Jesus is that Savior for us. And that if Jesus is our commonality, that Jesus can also be the glue that brings us together. That we would then break down the barriers and understand if he gets us, we can get each other and be so much more gracious. Tonight, as the band comes up, we want to do something that we're going to start practicing more and more together. We're going to invite the prayer team to be up here. And as the band is singing and kind of leading us in this final song, we want to just give you the space to pray together. We want to give you the space to just have a moment to be with God and with someone else. And so we want to encourage you that you would really seek God tonight in prayer whether it's dealing with a bad image about who God is or it's dealing with the failure of life in some way or it's dealing with the loneliness of your soul or maybe it's just something you need to just cry out with God, with someone with. So I'm gonna be here tonight. I'm gonna stay at the front. And as our band leads us in worship, I wanna just invite any one of you who'd like to pray with us just to come forward or even pray with each other there in the pew. Blessings to you, friends. Love you. Thank you so much for listening to the Night Church Podcast. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon. And if you have, maybe you can share this with a friend. If you'd like to stay in touch, you can follow us on social media at Praxis Ministry or come visit us in Loma Linda on a Friday evening. We'll see you in the next episode.